He then said at one point, Oh, Laura struggled in the sig. Right? And I thought, the sig? What's the sig? And I realised it's the signature. And I, oh, I, thought, oh, I don't like it when people start trying to appear cool by, uh, by shortening words. Welcome back to the Bake Down podcast. This is Josh Landy, founder of Bake with a Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former great British Bake Off stars. And you can now do this from anywhere in the world with our virtual classes. Talking of our virtual classes, I'm thrilled to say that Rosie, the semi-finalist from last year's Great British Bake Off, is going to be joining the Bake With A Legend ranks and her first two online classes are going up on our website this Thursday, 29th of October. So if you'd like to join Rosie to make two delicious types of Cornish pasties or you'd like to learn to make beignet souffle with her, then do head to the website and sign up. Remember to use the code PODCAST to get 10% off. If you're thinking of an online get-together, from donut classes to celebrate Hanukkah to Christmas parties, making beautiful mince pies or yule logs, our events diary is filling up in the coming weeks and we'd love to organise something for you and your friends or your family or perhaps your colleagues. It was another wonderful episode that Howard, Jane and I were able to reflect on this week and as we were getting ready to record Japanese Week's podcast, Jane said she thought it was just a little uneventful. So I started by asking her to elaborate on what she meant. I confess at the start, I thought, oh, Japanese Week, what's that all about? I really loved it, but I wasn't on the edge of my seat with nerves or biting my nails. So that's what I meant by uneventful. I didn't mean anything bad by it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. I think we mentioned um, in in the um, in the webinar last week. I think we mentioned that uh, Japanese Week was was coming up, and I thought, oh, what's that going to be about, really? Because I I thought I didn't know anything about Japanese baking, and um, actually watching the program confirmed that. But I, but um, but I thought a lot of the things that that they did were very achievable things, and actually stuff that I would like to have a go at so I think it was great in terms of presenting a different style of baking and also encouraging people to have a go at it yeah I'd agree I I enjoyed this week's episode now we've had a couple of questions in from uh, listeners I wanted to ask both of you Um, this one comes from Chris Jones hi Josh Howard and Jane I love the podcast how level-headed your analysis is that's very kind thank you Um, a question for you all Um, what was your first experiences with Bake Off how did it grab you mine just so happened to be watching Howard struggle with poached meringues and custard so what's your what's your first memory ever like how did you watch the, the, the very first series or when did you first come across Bake Off do you know, I think I sort of dipped into the first series and particularly towards the final, um, I, I was sort of beginning to get um, drawn into it. I um, was really happy to see Edwin. And um, do you know, I, I don't think I was a great watcher of series two. So it was really series three that, that I watched from, from start to finish and thoroughly enjoyed, yeah almost identical to me i didn't watch any of series one at all so which i would really love to go back and watch because ed kimber is an amazing baker um it was a friend of mine who i ran my gardening maintenance business with that kept nagging me to watch it so i 
came in probably towards the end of series two. And I, I'm sorry to say, I really don't remember anybody from series two except for Joe, who won it, who I have met. Um, in fact, we sang together. Um, I, I can't remember whether it was last year or the year before, but we, we sang together for a charity thing. And she's absolutely lovely. So I, I caught the end of series two and then absolutely hooked by series three which John won um he was astounding wasn't he it was a brilliant baker so it was series three it was series three that really grabbed me how about you Josh well I think I was just trying to think I'm pretty sure it was Howard series was the first one I watched series four and you're you're right I, I have not probably watched every episode of of series series one or two I think I went back and watched three because Howard you were series four weren't you uh, yeah. but I still think yeah, the series one and two I haven't watched maybe we should watch it together Jane in uh, in tandem at some point yeah what a good idea perhaps we could go back and do our analysis of the earlier series and say wow. gosh they had it so much easier than we did <laughs> we had a couple of uh, other emails and this one was from Catherine Brist she said I'm a listener in America I love the podcast I have a question after watching the heat related chocolate disasters a couple of weeks ago is there a reason they can't temperature control the tent I watch Bake Off because I love seeing the beautiful creative things contestants can create and it makes me so sad when their bakes are melting I don't understand why they can't just give the bakers a little air conditioning Jane what do you think um, I know exactly why. They they have so much trouble controlling the noise in the tent. Um, the generator for all the electrical equipment is situated miles away, so you don't get the hum of that. They do try and warm it up for us for the really cold days, but they have to turn the heating off as soon as filming begins because you will have the droning noise. Um, the, the microphones are so sensitive that even if we couldn't hear it, it would pick up on the microphones. So sadly, we're in a tent. It's just one of those things. If it's cold outside, it's cold in the tent. If it's hot outside, it's roasting in the tent. Um, and they can't do anything about it without ruining the sound quality, I'm afraid. So that's just the way it is. I want to get stuck into Japanese wheat. And Howard, let's just firstly talk about the uh, the signature challenge because this was a uh, a challenge to make eight soft, delicious steamed buns. We're told that they're usually filled with pork or a curry, but they could choose any filling they want, and they had two and a half hours to do this. And we were looking for something soft and chewy, and that it apparently would melt in the mouth. What uh, what did you make of this, Howard? Is it something you've made before? It's not something I've made before, but I, I and I haven't got a bun steamer, but I, I can imagine that they're not terribly expensive to buy because they look like such a little bamboo thing that sits over a pan. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'm going to get one because it, it looked like a lovely challenge, actually. I thought it was interesting that, you know, we start off with the theme of Japanese week and clearly the steamed buns were a Japanese thing. Uh, but then people started uh, doing a sort of fusion thing and putting all sorts of different uh, flavours, um, you know, sort of fillings from different cuisines, as it were, in order to... Um, to get something very personal and individual. Now, Jane, maybe just explain to us, if you can, the challenges that come when you are steaming in baking, because you've got to be careful of the moisture level. Is that right? 
yeah, to be honest, I don't do it very often. I'm still deeply, deeply scarred from damp noodles where we poached dough. Um, so you mentioned smoking, uh, steaming dough. I made bao buns a little while ago, which are, I think, very, very similar to these, just different shapes and probably different cuisine. But um, yeah, what you don't want to do, you're building up the heat in there and the moisture's obviously not letting the uh, buns brown it's the way they would in the oven so it keeps them very soft and springy and um and delicious uh and i think that the trick is not to let the steam out so a bit like opening the oven when you're making yorkshire puddings or or a cake um to a to a slightly lesser extent um you don't know what's happening to that dough because you can't see it so i think that's that's the, the the hard thing. I mean, steam is steam. Um, we also a lot of us steam puddings and things, um, but I, I think that's it. It's the worry about what happens when you take that lid off and what it's going to look like. I mean, in an oven door, you can look through, but well, if you've got a glass fronted oven like I have, um, but it, it's the fear of the unknown. I think. But it was a brilliant challenge. I absolutely loved it. I can't wait to make these. I thought. It looked very, very achievable, um, and I, I, so it, I wasn't looking forward to Japanese week. I, I like Howard. I knew nothing apart from sushi and sashimi, and um, what's the one where you fry, fry vegetables in batter? Well, I can't remember. Temporary, yes, thank you very much. Um, that's all I really knew about Japanese, but I just thought some of these challenges were lovely and especially these buns can't wait to make them i think i'm going to go with a sticky pork i think for mine i think it sounds lovely we did have this moment didn't we where for about 50 minutes when they were in these you know little baskets which i've just looked up on amazon they are quite cheap howard i'm going to send you one so i want to see when we come <laughs> on this uh, podcast <laughs> yes i'm going to send one to both of you and then we'll we'll sit here next week and uh, and i can judge who who made a better um steamed bun but it, it was the tension of at least with an oven you can sort of look through can't you and see see what's going on but with these it was kind of like mystery was uh shroud yeah, and and I think it was it was um, I think it was Mark with a K who who was saying that in practice he'd sort of had a little peek at a certain point, yes. and now he wasn't sure whether that was crucial um, in order in terms of let, letting a bit of the steam out at that point, whether it would affect the finished. Um, I was going to say finished bake, but it's not really a bake in that sense. But uh, but yeah, so I can understand that the sort of impatience. Um, can be a little bit um, a bit troublesome really yeah and the temptation to just have a little glance could be the difference between it completely working out or not well let's just talk about some of the individual bakers and what's nice is once we get to this point in the series we get to see a lot more of what they're doing don't we just naturally there's only seven of them and therefore the time in the show now i had my own terrible experience with turmeric the other week and there is a mark on my kitchen table that i fear is going to be here for as long as this kitchen table is with us but it did work well for dave because he had this beautiful bright color um jane he was making this katsu curry that one i was quite impressed by uh, uh, me too or cat poo curry as matt lucas described it which <laughs> made me chuckle because i have that sort of lavatorial stupid childish humor i, I just thought it worked brilliantly I thought it just made me smile 
a lovely way of colouring the dough. And I think we saw a lot of colouring dough, was it last year, where they used charcoal to colour dough quite a lot, or beetroot powder, which worked nicely. I don't like black dough very much. But I thought these little yellow chickens with little orange bits and things looked absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Well, I said to the judges as well, didn't they? Um, it, it, I think it's just very hard to stretch the dough without things beginning to poke through and that was the only criticism they found of him I just thought they were delightful absolutely delightful um yeah great idea I mean and you can use turmeric you could have used paprika and you can use that in your ordinary doughs as well so if you're making a as I'm going to be doing today um, a quiche you can color and flavor the your pastry or dough with and today I'm going to use um smoked paprika in mine to give it that little ready tinge and just give it an extra bit of flavor so it's a really good tip you know stick some something in the dough just to help everything along flavor wise and Howard we had a burger off essentially didn't we <laughs> and and that was quite interesting to look at the way they were going against each other we had Mark with a K and Lottie both going for burgers. Who do you think were better? I do, you know, I, I, I know Mark thought that he'd, he'd, he'd beaten uh, Lottie on the, uh, on the burger off, but, um, but I don't think he did. I, I thought Lottie's looked great, actually. I agree. I thought Lottie's looked fab with the layers um, and, and looked very pretty. I thought they were much nicer on, on the outside. I'm not convinced. I thought, I think hers were a little bit dry, weren't they? And although she said that Paul didn't have the, the, the relish on it, I think she probably used a low-fat mince. She should have gone for a nice high-fat mince, which would have kept it moist. Um, but I loved the humour between the two of them. You burger off. You burger off, Mark. <laughs> I thought it was just, it was so sweet. I, I loved that interaction between the two of them. Very entertaining. Now, what I wanted to ask you both here was what you made of Paul. It felt like he thought he was in a restaurant. There you go. No, I won't have that one with gherkin. Uh, take that off. Make sure there's one for me. That was quite unusual, wasn't it, to, to see that, Howard, that he could sort of walk around and go, yeah, don't put that in for me. I'd, absolutely, and I, I think that's um, that's probably at least the basis of of uh, my hump this week because I think, you know, you can't. I I, I think it's tr it's difficult because when you go into Bake Off, you are trying to develop recipes that you think are going to taste great and you know look good and so on, but you're not given a list of the, the judges' likes and dislikes. And even if you watch back past episodes, you might miss the fact that somebody likes coconut or doesn't like coconut or, or whatever. And the idea is that the judges should have a, a bit of objectivity. I think Jane was saying um, last week about I don't think either of us are particularly fond of, of chocolate cake. But, I mean, on the occasions when I've had to judge cakes, I wouldn't say, oh, you know, don't give me chocolate cake, particularly if it's a chocolate cake contest because you've nothing to eat then. <laughs> I think that the point uh, Howard made there, Jane, is really fair, isn't it? Because surely when you're planning these recipes, and look, I know it's week six, so 
you'd think most people have planned to, to this point. The relish and the gherkin, I mean, that plays into the flavor. So if you're told your burger's a little bit dry, but you've had to take out some of the flavors that you hope to put in there, that, that feels almost a bit unfair. I would absolutely agree. I mean, you try and get the flavour balance, be it whether you're making savoury or sweet, you try and get the flavour balance right. And how often we've heard the judges say, oh, if only you had put um, some jam in that or something sharp in that to lift the richness. Well, I think the gherkin would have added that extra layer of flavour. And I think they should have left left it in there i think both of them should have left it in there and paul should have just sucked it up and um judged it on the overall flavor i did think it was unfair actually um and and really he knows i mean we don't all like various flavors do we i mean but you just got to judge it on on the day and, and the combination of flavors you could criticize the combination of flavors not working together but not just because you don't like it i thought that was I, I thought that was a little out of order really well howard who would you have been thinking did best in this signature overall from the seven bakers we had left oh do you know i it was it was difficult because i loved the look of her means i know who said that her pandas need needed uh, larger eyes but i loved the 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 sort of sweet look of them. And also the fillings that were in there, the spiced chicken, dried shrimps and shiitake mushrooms. I thought that sounded really lovely. And I also liked uh, Peter's as well. I thought the little sheep were so sweet. I think Paul said that the dough was just a, a bit thin. It hadn't sort of um, completely given that that sort of thickness that, that you're really looking for on a bun. But again, um, lamb, garlic, chilli, coriander. Ooh, you know, delicious yeah jane overall the feedback was strong i thought from the from the morning for the steam buns but was there one that you thought was just a little bit better than the rest looking at them from the outside and from from the screen obviously not face to face i couldn't help but like dave's i love the pandas i love the little pigs I loved the Peter's Little Lambs. I thought they sort of really embraced a lot of the Japanese stuff that we see over here. And I I just thought they were very, very entertaining. I, I love them all. As, as far as flavours are concerned, and sadly hers didn't look as good as everybody else's, um, I really fancied Laura's. I love sticky pork. I think where she possibly fell down with the sticky pork apart from the fact that perhaps the dough was a little thin so it was poking through is the pork belly does take a real long time to cook and in two hours and 30 minutes to do the whole thing she probably should have picked maybe she should have um pressure cooked the pork maybe and then fried it off just so it was softer and jane one of the things i think you spoke on the podcast before is about when you're making burgers you go through a slightly fattier um, meat and that came up in the feedback Lottie got that maybe she could have used a slightly fatter meat and I thought of you and you've made that point before. Yes I have and the trouble is with fat and we're all, we've all been told it's got to be low fat this and low fat that the trouble is all the fat in meat is is where the flavour is um, and if you take the the fat and you, you know five percent fat minced beef Gosh, it's like eating, I guess, wood shavings. I mean, there's nothing to it. So I always use it at 20% fat for my burgers and it keeps them moist and, and lovely. And when people come around and go, well, why are your burger so nice? I always go, because I go for the cheap 20% fat 
Um, yeah, so I think don't eat less, but eat better. And I think if you're going to have meat, you want it with a lovely marbled fat in it and for your burgers as well. I think that's possibly where they fall down is, is going too dry. Hi, everybody. My name's Helen. And I'm Kobe. And we're from Flixwatcher, a podcast in the strip media family. We are a movie podcast and we review films that are just on Netflix in the UK. So if you've ever struggled to find a film on Netflix to watch, we're the podcast for you. We have guests on from other podcasts, big and small, just like these guys that you listen to now. They choose the films and we rate them and discuss them with our unique scoring system. You can find Flixwatcher on any podcast app by searching Flixwatcher. That's F-L-I-X Watcher. And if you want more information about any of the other podcasts in the Strip Media family, just visit www.strips.media to find out more. So a pretty successful morning for the bakers with their signature challenge. We went on to the technical challenge. They were told that when they read this recipe, they shouldn't panic because it'd be nothing they haven't done before. They had to make a matcha crepe cake comprised of 12 matcha filled crepes stacked one on top of the other, layered with strawberries and a white chocolate ganache buttercream decorated with fresh fruit and edible flowers and two hours. Howard, did you enjoy this task? It was something quite visually impressive by the end of it. It was. I, I, I thought it was lovely. I, I'd not heard of, of a matcha meal crepe cake before, so I've, I've just been Googling to, to have a look at one. And they all do look um, very similar to the one that, that Prue had come up with, except um, few of them have those um, very finely sliced strawberries in it. just tends to be a sort of uh, white chocolate filling and the matcha crepe, uh, but without without the slices of strawberry. So I thought this was a nice contrast. Um, I think the only thing that, that panicked me slightly about this was the fact that it did seem to have quite a lot of, uh, of different uh, components to it and certainly use of equipment. So they got two different size crepe pans and then they've got to do all that layering within um, a container and strips of paper and bits of cling film and all sorts of things like that. So there were lots of bits where things could go wrong and sometimes, uh, you know, people hadn't got enough batter to be able to um, to make the required number of crepes and sometimes the filling was was kind of poking out and so on. But um, But doable, I think. Yeah, this felt like a classic bake-off moment where when Paul and Prue were sitting there with the example version, and Paul made a point that they would need to be careful getting the crepe very thin to ensure they had enough mixture, it felt then like, well, I wonder which one or two bakers are not going to do this. And as, as ever, inevitably, there were a couple, weren't there, Jane? Oh, there were. Um, there was a it was interesting. I'd like to see the recipe, um, which they will post online if it's not already up there online, because they heated the milk. And normally I wouldn't heat my milk when I'm making my crepe batter. Um, so I heated the milk because I was thinking, oh, gosh, why don't they just add a little bit of extra milk in there? But may, you know, just stretch, stretch the batter out a little bit. It looked like a difficult, but some people were struggling more than others. I mean, Peter's all looked great. When you poured them into the pan, they spread beautifully. And then Mark with a C, um, it sort of sat there, really. So I don't know whether his was a little bit thick. 
Um, but I thought it, it was an interesting challenge. I thought I don't necessarily think that either Paul or Prue liked it <laughs> because when they sit in their little little tent and they taste it and they go, oh, um, well, we've got another seven to eat or 12 to eat. And they go, I don't care. I'm going to eat it because I love it. It was like, I don't think we ought to eat it. We've got another seven to go. And they were like, oh, right, fine. We can put the spoon down <laughs> pretty quickly. Because I suspect none of them like matcha very much. <laughs> Covered in that complete dusting of matcha. I must admit, I love the look of it when it's cut into, but all that matcha on the top really put me off, which might stop me making it because I really don't like matcha. <laughs> Sorry. It is, I think Laura said, like eating grass. In fact, can I just say, she made me laugh so much. I just chuckled and chuckled and chuckled. And my husband was like, oh, for goodness sake, it wasn't that funny. <laughs> and she said, she got no love for matcha. She said, I don't feel like making a swamp. <laughs> And I thought yeah. it is. It tastes like a swamp. So, well, I, I did order some um, matcha a, a good long while ago because I think a couple of people in my year used it. It hasn't moved out of the cupboard. I have to say, I've not felt I've not felt like making a swamp either. Peter did come up with what I think I'm going to call this podcast, where he said "game set matcha" as he was finishing his, which I, I did like. I thought uh, that was helpful of him to give us a podcast title. But what did you make out of Noel going around asking everyone to flip their pancake? Is that the sort of pressure you need in week six of Bake Off? Do you think you'd have succumbed if he was hanging over your shoulder saying, "Flip it, flip it"? I I I, I, I do like flipping a pancake. Uh, I think I've I've. I've got quite a good uh, flipping wrist. Um, but yes, I, I don't know whether this was the kind of of, uh, of crepe or pancake that, that you would want to uh, risk flipping. But um, it's it's not just Noel. I mean, the, the producers and everybody actually want uh, things in the tent that are good on TV, you know, a bit of uh, visual excitement. So I, I remember that if there is an opportunity for you to do something like flip a pancake or try and get something out of a tin and it's wobbling and so on, um, they, they definitely want you to go for it, even if you know in your heart of hearts that it may end up in disaster, because as I say, it's good TV. Yeah, it was a, a funny moment. What else was interesting as we got to the decoration stages, Jane, was Dave not knowing what a crescent was, and he ultimately would got bad feedback, not for his bake particularly, but just because the decoration wasn't right, because he just went all over the top of it rather than going with the crescent that had been requested. Yeah, I, I was surprised he didn't know what a crescent was, but then... Well, if we all know something, it's obvious. And if we don't know it, it, it really isn't. So it was a phrase that we used a lot. And if you think of um, if you think of street names, you have crescents that go around in a semicircle. But he, he, he genuinely didn't know it. And what this could be Jane's hump. But what annoyed me was Prue saying, um, well, we did ask for a semicircle. Um, and, and I thought he didn't ask for a semicircle, you asked for a crescent. What if you wanted a semicircle, don't you know, ask for a semicircle? And I, I thought that was unfair criticism, um, and I did feel sorry for him, um, because he clearly didn't know what it was, but he would have known what a semicircle was. Um, but you know, I think, yeah, I yeah, ultimately he came out all right out of it, but 
Prue is sort of a similar age to me or similar sort of she's a bit older to be fair <laughs> but 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 yeah we all know what a crescent is we talk about crescent moons we talk about crescent brooches my mother had a lovely crescent brooch but maybe some of the younger people don't know some of the words that we took for granted so just make it blindingly obvious and then don't pull them up for something that you haven't actually said so that did irritate me slightly um but as I said he didn't really ultimately do him any harm it probably nicked him a place but um, I don't think he would have come top in that challenge can I just say something about Peter sorry I thought he showed huge maturity when he mucked up his large pancake and then said oh well it was going to be a large one I'm going to make it a small one that he's got such an old head on his shoulders I think he is amazing amazing at the end of getting the feedback, and Laura had come bottom in this challenge, she said, you bake well with things you love, and I don't love matcha. Do you find that, Jane, when you're baking naturally the flavours you like, you're going to be more excited about baking? The lovely thing about baking at home um, and baking your own challenges, if you like, you don't have to bake with things that you don't love. Um, hence... I bought my match powder probably three years ago and I've never used it because I don't like it. Um, so inevitably, you're going to have more love for things that you do like. But whether you like the flavour of matcha or not, didn't matter what you were dusting. It didn't matter what you were colouring with. You had to make some crepes. You had to make some ganache and you had to... But you know, some uh, sort of white ganache buttercream and you had to assemble. She didn't have to eat it. Um, so I think in, in this instance, it doesn't matter what the flavour is. You've just got some basic elements that you have to make and put together. And I, as we talked about with Paul, he should just suck it up and eat whatever they give him. I think for things like this, it doesn't matter what the flavour is. You've just got to get on and do it. And the fact that they were green pancakes didn't make a difference to the way you were putting the whole thing together so um i do have a certain amount of sympathy with her and, and i don't like matcha flavor um but i don't think it would have affected the bake if that makes sense yeah howard if you'd been asked to bake with matcha and you weren't too keen on it do you think it would have affected your your abilities to make something good no i don't think so i think i i'm i'm not um I'm not as against matcha, uh, possibly. Uh, I have used it in, in a number of things. I, just, I, I remembered afterwards when uh, when they talked about Japanese week that during biscuit week, I made a Japanese pagoda, which had got matcha in some of the biscuits. So, so I have used it before. But I think there's a different discipline. I think the signature and the showstopper give you an opportunity to work with things that you love. Whereas the technical challenge is about delivering something to a very specific brief and making the best of that that you can possibly do. It's testing a different skill. Um, and so I think um, you have to distance yourself a little bit within the technical from things that you like or dislike and just try and do the best example of that particular bait that you can possibly do. So we're headed to the showstopper with Laura looking in a fairly precarious situation and the bakers were tasked with making a spectacular kawaii cake, a style rooted in Japanese culture, they were told to make something cute and charming. 
and uh, to take inspiration here, Howard, from Japanese culture over the space of four hours. So most of them seem to hit the brief but mark with a K ultimately left the tent. It, it did, although I thought the, the concept of, of doing the, the little avocados and so on was, was great. And and although the big avocados were, were a little bit rough around the edges, they were, I thought they were cute. I thought they were lovely. I, I, if it had been um, executed beautifully and incredibly neatly, I thought it, it could have been um, a real winner. I think the one who was l- least aligned to the brief, who was most off the brief, was probably Hermine, really. Jane, what would you have gone for here if you had four hours to make a showstopper that had its style rooted in Japanese culture? Um, well, I mean, you've sprung that on me without... <laughs> I don't even know how to spell. I've just looked it up, how, how you pronounce and spell kawaii cake. Um, I think I would have done a load of research and looked at a lot of the manga stuff. And I love the idea of the dogs. So something really cutesy. The, the dogs worked for me. The cat, a cat would have worked for me. A panda would have worked for me. Um, something, something along those lines. I, I loved the idea of it. I thought it gave them a real opportunity to do something very clever and um, eye-catching. And they didn't have to do you know, three tiers or anything like that. I thought it was achievable in the time. And the very fact that they all did achieve something lovely um, showed that actually they were quite generous. Um, they were quite generous with the time they had to create these, these cakes. I thought all of them looked amazing, really. Great ideas, really creative. Um, one of one of my favourite showstopper challenges for a long while, I think. Really liked it. I, I really enjoyed this one. Howard, when we saw Lottie's cotton uh, jiggle cake into this toadstool, it felt like there was potential for jeopardy here, that it could kind of be too heavy on top. And she was saying from the outset that it was a, a gamble, but it was a gamble that paid off. It, it, it was. And I, I think, you know, it reminded me of past challenges where th- this idea of stacking cheesecakes and things like that. Um, but these were incredibly uh, wobbly and, and fragile. So the idea in the first place of, of doing something which might have a slightly larger top to bottom, I think in, in, in execution, actually, the two cakes were more or less the same size. So I don't think there was a a, a huge difference between the two but but yeah the idea of of attempting this cake and then stacking it was you know really risky and also with that lovely kind of cherry center as well mm. yeah it seemed like everyone was getting stuck in even you know we saw matt lucas uh, grabbing a bit of the the candy floss didn't we as he was getting the feedback so clearly uh, quite popular with the judges. Who else stood out to you here? I mean, Laura, we should talk about, Jane, because as I'd mentioned before, it looked precarious for her. And, you know, maybe it was in the filming, but she was obviously getting quite emotional and there were points where she felt it wasn't working for her. And yet in the end, she pulled it round. 
Yes, I felt so sorry for her because you know what it's like when you're really tired and you feel you're under pressure and the, the smallest thing goes wrong and you think it's the end of the world. And she was struggling with her fondant. Um, and fondant can be a beast. I don't know what the temperature was like. Nobody mentioned it. It looks like it was raining at one point. Um, but trying to pick up those big sheets of fondant uh, and then it starts to rip and tear. I mean, it is a nightmare. Um, but bless her she she really just sort of knuckled down and got on with it and in the end her fondant didn't look as bad as some of the others if you look up close her, her means had got and what do they call it they call it things like elephant skin or something like that you know when the, the, the fondant sort of pulls slightly and it looks a bit dimpled well um, her means look like that. Dave had problems with his fondant as well. And good old Laura managed to, to, to get something really, I thought, interesting and good looking up. And obviously her flavours were lovely. I love the idea of the upside down pineapple. It could have been a little bit more pineapple like, perhaps. But I thought she did an excellent job. And I loved the idea of the lime and uzu curd and the pineapple upside down cake. I mean, it she got a very, very, very good flavour comment from Paul. So I was so glad for her because she was, we've all cried in the tent. It's just that we don't all get shown on telly crying in the tent. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad she didn't go because she makes me laugh. She comes up with some really funny comments. I thought it was an interesting take, sticking it upside down. Oh, brilliant. Good for her. Howard, Howard was it that she did particularly well or that Mark did particularly badly that meant that um, that Laura did survive yet another week? Yeah, difficult one to call, isn't it? I, I, I think we saw a bit of a journey with Laura in that she was quite uh, emotional uh, about not achieving a, an a acceptable finish. And in the end, it, it, it did look reasonably well finished, whereas unfortunately, Mark's, you could see it was a little bit rough around the edges. So I think it probably was that combination of, of sort of being able to produce something which was a genuine showstopper and also something that tasted delicious as well. Let's just have a word on beloved Peter, Jay. <laughs> what did he call it? Dizzy the Shuttlecock. Dizzy and the he... Shuttlecock, yes. I've I got to tell you. Clever, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and I never knew that about the, the left side of the geese is the one that the provides. The left wing of the goose, yeah. yes. Is why? There's, maybe there's a bias on the left and not the right. I, I have no idea. I'm going to have to look that one up. I'd also never heard, and I've just Googled it now, actually. I've never heard of Castella cake. And he just They just said it was Castella cake, but without any explanation. And it says here, Castella is a kind of, Oh, I forgive the pronunciation. Wagashi, Wagashi, whatever that is, originally developed in Japan based on a confectionery transmitted from Portugal. Um, and in, in this picture, it almost looks like a Madeira, but I don't think it is. Um, mind you, that would work for Portugal, wouldn't it, if it was a Madeira cake? Um, anyway, I don't know. We have to have a look at these. There's a couple of these cases, cakes I really want to have a go at, the Costello one and the cotton jiggle cake I thought looked brilliant too um and interesting uh, yeah Peter again oh gosh I mean I, don't, I just think we ought to stop talking about him because we keep on saying how fantastic he is I loved the idea of these Asian pears so these poached pears and the 
the white chocolate feathers and a chestnut cream sounded delicious, didn't it? I mean, is he really, is he really a 60-year-old man hiding in a 20-year-old man's body? Because he's just so mature in all his baking and all his flavours. Um, is it really you, Howard, dressed <laughs> up with the latex mask to smooth out a little bit of those wrinkles? Not, not many, because you don't have many. But I just don't... He, I mean, we keep using superlatives for Peter, but... Goodness me, I wish my kids could cook half as well as he can. Um, sorry, kids, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not. But it's so sad to see somebody go at this stage because I feel that we know them all quite well now after seven weeks. Um, and they're all really coming into their own as bakers. You know, we, we'd always pick out Peter um, and Nottie's obviously done well. But, you know, they've all done an amazing job this week. You know, you just in a way, can't pick one of them out now. I wouldn't like to put money on any of them now, getting to the final, just so fantastic. Yeah, if, if Howard was, um, in fact, Peter and had been 10, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in 2020, but it, it would certainly <laughs> be up there. Now, Howard, you better give us your hump from this week before we finish up this episode. What was it this week? Oh, well, it was mainly around, I, I suppose, a couple of things, really. Mainly around, actually, there's three things. <laughs> mainly around Paul. Um, as a judge, he said, you've got to take on your opinions on flavour, for instance, on a flavour, for instance, that you may not particularly like. And then he, he, he went and sort of said, I want mine without gherkins and... Um, I, I, he's he's paid to <laughs> to sit there and eat matcha if he doesn't like matcha, and if he really doesn't like gherkins, pick them out rather than asking somebody to to do one for you. Uh, I think there's a difference when someone has a food allergy, but you know you can absolutely take that on board. He's not allergic to gherkins, as far as I know. It's just him being picky. Um, other thing I didn't like, he then said at one point, oh, Laura struddled in the sig, right? And I thought, the sig? What's the sig? And I realised it's the signature. And I, oh, I, thought, oh, I don't like it when people start trying to appear cool by uh, by shortening words. Um, and my final hump of the week <laughs> is, um, is things that you can't eat. Please don't use foil and and things to to create the basis for stuff, and then wrap them in fondant or or whatever. Um, if if you're going to create something that looks edible, make it edible. Um, it's just one of my my uh, pet hates. That was a series of Howard's humps all in just the one episode today. Well, thank you, Howard, for your humps. Now, before we wrap up this week's episode, I just need a final word from you, Jane. Star Baker, Lottie, Mark with a K leaving the process. Were those the right decisions for you? Um, yeah, definitely Lottie for me. I thought she did an astounding job on all of her bakes. Um, and I particularly liked her to toadstool. I thought she shoved the kitchen sink at it and it really worked it was a fantastic creation oh mark i'm gonna miss you so much he's always so smiley um and i'm gonna miss the lottie mark banter but i'm afraid at the end of the day his was probably the least successful showstopper so sad to see him go but the right decision howard the final word of the podcast goes to you this week were they the two right decisions 
I think they were the two right decisions. I feel sorry for Dan, who was with us last week, because he was so in love with Mark's hair. Um, so he'll have to find another opportunity to possibly run his fingers through it at some point. Yeah, for that reason alone, we are sad to uh, to see Mark with a K go. But uh, yeah, one of the uh, the great characters from this series, and we wish him well. So we are down to just six bakers for the last four episodes of the show thank you so much to everyone who's been joining us to listen to this podcast please do continue to spread the love and if you can leave a review we'd hugely appreciate it we have loads of online classes that are continually going up we are arranging um, a lot of christmas parties and virtual get-togethers so if you might be interested please do head to our website bakewithlegend.com and you can find out plenty more information uh, thank you to jane and to howard and we will see you next wednesday you just heard a stripped media production